Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Appreciate you coming out on a, it's a beautiful morning out there, isn't it? It uh, makes you a little question your confidence on the road, but the uh, road wasn't bad, wasn't bad at all. When we read uh, Old Testament stories like we're going to today, we need to, we need to kind of read it as a parable. Because I'm not so much interested in ancient history that doesn't really relate to me. So I'm looking for something in the Bible that relates to me. Uh, when we get to the Old Testament, there's a bunch of historical stories, things that happened way back then. So we have to understand that the same spirit that inspired the Old Testament prophets to write these events is the same spirit that lives inside of us as we read and interpret the Bible. So we're looking for like a, a parable, a story that has a primary meaning to, that takes place right then on the spot. But it also has a secondary meaning that we can understand in the New Testament because there's a unique relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So if we, if we spirit-filled Christians want to understand more about what God is saying to us, we need to look at the Old Testament through spiritual eyes and see it as a parable with hidden meanings. The story that we're going to talk about today is one such story. And if you look at it with me through those eyes, we're going to learn something significant. Uh, a little bit of background on our story. Uh, Man has always had a problem in our connection to God, and that is you just can't see him. You can't see God. I would, I would rather be able to see God. I would rather have uh, evidence, wouldn't you? But having to trust God and, and, and relate to God when you can't see him, requires faith. And we humans would rather not walk by faith. We'd rather walk by sight so that we know what to watch out for and what to dodge and what to maneuver around. But walking by faith, God knows what's ahead of us. We don't know. So we have to trust him because you can't see God. But everybody wants to see God. So here's the scenario. God chose this group of people that became known as the Israelites. He chose them. He promised through their ancestor Abraham that he was going to give great blessings, pour great blessings into themselves. But they lost their way down in Egypt in bondage, slavery, which always represents sin, a life of sin. Be sure your sin will be exposed. It will be brought out in the open. So Israel's in this land of bondage, and they're crying out to God for help, and God responds, and he sets a little bonfire up on a mountaintop. God always does things in strange ways. But there's one man down in the valley that looked up on that mountaintop, and he saw that, he saw that bush burning up there. And he looked a little bit later, and it was still burning. And he's thinking to himself, what fuels that fire that it just keeps right on burning, and it never goes out? 
I'm going to go up and see this. So he had to turn aside. There's a sermon in that. He had to turn aside from his routine, go up on the mountain and explore and see what is this fire that never goes out. And when he got up there, the bush began to talk to him. It was God in the bush. Moses got a glimpse to see God. First thing God told him to do is take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. I'm about to give you your life's assignment. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And when you get to Pharaoh, you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I just can't. I'm not a very good communicator, so I can't do that, God. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron to come alongside you. You need somebody to come alongside and partner with you. I will speak with you, Moses, and I'll tell you what I want my people to do so that they will know what I expect. And then you tell Aaron, and Aaron, who's the good communicator, will tell the people. That's God's solution to Moses' argument that he just can't talk very good. God comes up with, a, with someone in the middle. So time goes on, and God finally works through Moses, delivers him out of the land of bondage in Egypt, and he leads all the Israelites out of that land across the, the sea, which we, we studied a couple weeks ago, and out to the wilderness. And the first thing they did was they stopped where God had met with Moses earlier when Moses said, give me some kind of evidence, give me some kind of evidence. And God said, well, the evidence is when you do what you're told and you bring the people out of Egypt, you come back and meet me on this mountain. That's the evidence of God. It's what's already happened. That's the proof. So Moses goes up on the mountain again. And this time up on the mountain, God get, re reveals himself a little more clearly. He said, I want you to... Uh, God wrote down what he wanted Moses to do so he wouldn't forget. He took a slab of stone. And the Bible says he used his finger, the finger of God, and he etched in that stone the first commandment he has for mankind. And then the second one. And the third one. Five of them on that side. Then he turned the slab over and did the same thing on the other side with another five. It's what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, God has a whole lot more desires for us than the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments kind of summarize it all. So now that Moses understands, now he sees what God's will is for the people. He picks up that slab of stone with the Ten Commandments. Oh, man, this thing's heavy. This is a heavy load. And he begins going down the mountain, carrying this thing all the way down. It gets heavier and heavier with each step. And they get down toward the bottom, and Joshua, who had gone along with him, says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I hear something. It sounds like a, a battle going on down there, battle cry. And Moses listens, and he says, that's not a battle cry. That's a party going on. They've got some kind of a party celebration going on. What is this? As they got a little bit closer, they discovered that Aaron 
who was Moses' right-hand man. He was the executive officer, had conspired with the people to take their donations and put together a golden calf. And all the people were celebrating the freedom they had, being free from a God they can't see, and now we have one we can see. It's the downfall of mankind all down through history. We always want to put together a God that we can see and understand, that we can control, that we have some kind of say in. We want a God like that. We don't necessarily want a God who we have to dig in and study and get broken for him to reveal himself. We want something a little more in our creation. Amen. And God's reaction to that is to say, okay, that's it. I made a promise to, you, to the Israelites. I'm going to keep my promise. You're going to go into the promised land, and I'm going to send my angels ahead so that you can win that battle. And I'm going to give you the land. But I'm not going with you. You're going to do this on your own. Can you imagine what it would be like for God to say, okay, I'm telling you what I want you to do. This is the right step for you to go, but you're going to do this all on your own. I'm not going to be there to back you up. When Moses heard that, he does the same thing you and I would do if God said, that's it, you're on your own, I won't be with you anymore. He freaks out. And you know what humans do when they freak out? They pray. That's the time when you say, oh, God. Oh, God, you get serious with God. So Moses began praying. All of this has kind of been an introduction to what I'm, uh, I'm about to say because we want to look at Moses' prayer. Three aspects of Moses' prayer. Three things he was asking God for. And all three of them God granted. Let's look at the first one. It's in verses 12, 13, and 14. Let, let's read the scripture first, and then I'll give you the point. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So here's, here's the problem. God had already given him a right-hand man. But Moses is saying, you keep telling me to lead. Who's going to help me? Who's going to come along with me? Moses, who you gave me, is a traitor. He's down there leading the people to worship this golden calf. Can't trust him. Who are you going to give me? I need someone to come alongside. Aaron had just blown it big time. So Moses says three things out of this portion we just read. Here's the first one. He says, teach me your ways so I may know you. I want to know you, God. This is significant. I'll tell you how. I know my wife. I know what puts a smile on her face. I know what ticks her off also. How do I know that? 
I've lived, we've been married 45, 40, 44 years. <laughs> 44 years together. You learn somebody with 44 years of experience. After 44 years, I'll guarantee you've seen them mad. You've also seen him cry. And you've seen him laugh. And you know what it is about that unique personality that you're close to. You know what it is that works on the inside of them. And because you know it, you can keep them from getting angry. You can put a smile on their face if you know how to do it. Moses is saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. Why? I want to know you so I don't do the things that will make you mad at me. I want to know you so I know what pleases you, what lights your fire. I want to please you, God. I want to be in partnership with you. And the only way to do that is to know him. How are we going to know you, God, if you don't show yourself to us? So the, the first point is, show me your guardian. Aaron was the first guardian who came alongside. Now he's saying, show me who you're going to send. Show me. So the first part of the prayer was, teach me your ways so I may know you. This, and then he goes on and says, and continue to find favor with you. That's the second part of the prayer. I want to know you so I can continue to find your favor. I want to continue to have your blessing in my life, your guidance in my life. And then the third part of the prayer, I love this. He says, remember that this nation is your people. Not, it's not my people, it's your people. You're the one who called them. You're the one who made the promises. You're the one who's leading them to the promised land. You got them out of Egypt and you're now we're in the wilderness headed toward the promise. This is your problem, God, not mine. Remember that. I'll do my best to follow your leading and do what you ask me to do, but this is your problem. I've had to adopt that attitude many times. God, you've asked me to do this, but this is getting hard. You're the one who asked me to do it. You're the one who wants to get this done. This is your problem, not mine. Why should it cost me extra money? Why should it take time away from my family? This is what... This is your problem. I'm just here to serve you with your problem. This is the argument Moses uses against God, which brings about God's response in uh, verse 14. Would you put that scripture back up, Don? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's, God answered his prayer. Do you see this? God answered his prayer. Now, the good news for us is we live in the new covenant, the New Testament. And God has brought alongside for each of us a guardian, a person who can help us. His name is the Holy Spirit. One of the Greek words translated uh, Holy Spirit is paraclete. Para means alongside, like a parallel, a paragraph runs alongside. Para, clete means helper. 
He's, he comes alongside as my helper. He walks right beside me. He goes through any difficulty, any, any, any problem I have. He goes through it with me. Did you know that the Holy Spirit walks beside you? If you didn't know that, you probably need to reach out to God. You need to receive a, an experience we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, an immersion in the Spirit that, w- that can make that awareness clear to you. Yeah. We need that, that, that part of God alongside us. So show me your guardian. That's the first prayer. He moves into the second prayer then in verses 15, 16, and 17, where he says, show me your grace. Remember what had just happened? The people had just made a golden calf. They put all their assets and resources together. They pulled it together to make this beautiful image of God, something they could see and understand, something that would be in one place wherever they wanted to see it. Show me your grace. Verses 15, 16, and 17. This is the prayer. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. He said, Lord, we need your presence. If your presence doesn't go with us into the, into the promised land, across the wilderness, if you don't go with us, leave us here. It's not going to be worth all the pain and, and tragedy we're going to have to experience on the journey if you don't go with us. Because you always come up with a solution. You always have a relief valve. You always take the pressure off, show us what to do at just the right time. If you're not going to go with us, leave us here. Don't even start us on the journey. And then he says, asks this interesting question. How will anyone know your favor is upon us if you don't go with us. In other words, he sees this as being a living witness. Do we see this? How's anybody else going to know that you are with me if you don't go with me? How's anybody going to know we're any different? Christians are, are any different than the lost world. Is there a difference? I think, I, th- I think a lot of people don't understand there should be a difference. There ought to be a difference between you and your neighbors across the street that don't know God. I mean, what is the difference? They got the boat in the driveway. You can't afford the boat. They got the biggest screen TV. You got the little one. They got all kinds of money for the antique car in the garage and the, uh, and, uh, the, the expensive cruises and trips they take and you have to take local vacations because you don't have the extra money. What's the difference between you as a Christian and the people across the street? There should be something evident that the neighbors in the neighborhood see. There should be something different about us. Can we identify it? God is the only thing that makes us different. 
the fact that when everything falls apart in our life, we've got confidence that God is going to see me through. That God's always there beside me. When everything falls apart in their house, there's chaos. Got to see the attorney. Everything falls apart. God's people have a hope that take us, that, that pulls us together and moves us through the difficulty. Everyone else gets a, they, they, they've, got to, they've got to spend a lot of money on psychologists to keep their, to keep their sanity. We know we can trust God. So there's always peace. Somebody say amen with this. Amen. Now God said, uh, let, let's go back to verses 2 and 3 for a minute. I want, you, I want us to see what God said earlier. God says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Did you know God could say the same thing about us? You are a stiff-necked people. And I just might destroy you along the way. This, this walk with God is fragile. We can't go to church on Sunday morning and act like we got it all together and then live like the way we want to live the rest of the week. Because God just might destroy us along the way because he's put his spirit inside of us so we'll be examples of him on the earth. I don't think we're doing such a good job. But God now says, and uh, a little bit later in the verse we just read, he said, my presence will go with you. Hello? Did Moses just argue with God and win? <laughs> Looks like it to me. And if Moses can pray and intercede and God change his mind, why can't we who are filled with his spirit in the new covenant I, I, I don't think the church has got a hold of the power of prayer. Amen. All right, I got one more to go. One more prayer. Show me your guardian. Show me your grace. And the third one is, show me your glory. God says, or Moses says this in his prayer to God. Verses 18 through 23. Read it and let's pay attention because I... Actually, everything I've said up to this point has been my introduction. This is the real message I want to share. So listen. Then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, which is what God's glory is, all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But my face, face must not be seen. Powerful. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. I need to see it. The people of God need to see it. If I see your glory, I'll be okay. I need to see it. God says, well, you can't see my face. I know you'd like to, but you can't. But he says five things, and these are the five subpoints there in your outline. First thing, he says, there is a place by me. There is a place. Listen, church, there is a place where we can connect with God. There is a place in our, in our lives, there's a place in our spirit where we can go and connect with God. And you're not going to find it through Google. Amen. There is a place where we can draw close to God and find His peace again. And it's not going to be in your workplace. They might give you a bonus, might give you a pay raise, but that's not the place He wants us to go. There is a place close to Him. It's near Him. And we've got to turn aside from our busyness and the thing that we find consuming our time. We have to turn aside from that and we have to get near God. You've got you to shut off the earbuds. You've got to shut off the TV. You've got to set Set your phone on mute and set it in the other corner. You got you to gotta get alone with God or you're never going to discover him. Amen. There's a place nearby. And he says, when you get to that place, you're going to find a rock. And you need to stand on the rock. A rock is something that doesn't move. It doesn't shift. It is stable. It never changes. It's always the same. I'm going to take you to this rock that is near me. And you're going to get on the rock and stand on it. There's some things we just need to stand on, church. And the rock is one of those things we need to stand on. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, we read this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Look at all the adjectives he uses to describe what God is to him. Most of these terms are, are, are kind of old-fashioned terms. They don't relate to us. But I'm sure you could pull up something in today's culture that you can relate and say, you are my this, you are my that. Last night, I just kind of off the top of my head, I, I said, you, God, you are my airbag. <laughs> and then I thought, bad example. <laughs> you can probably, think, think about that. What is God to you? Can you verbalize it? Can you tell him? And then tell him again. And then tell him again. This is what praise is. And the more we, we declare it, the more we speak it out, the more it solidifies inside of us. This is why we carefully choose the songs that, are, that we sang. You saw the words up on the screen? It's to help us declare it, speak it out, 
to say it. It builds up faith. And if you're one of the people that can't sing very good, so you just stand there and read the words, I wish you would at least say them. If you can't sing them, say them, because it's a declaration we need to make. So, this place near me, there's a rock. And we know that the rock is Jesus Christ. And you need to get on the rock, and you need to stand on it. If I'm going to pass by, if you're going to see me. And then he says, now this, this rock, when you get there, it's broken. There's going to be a crack, a cleft in the rock, a gap in that rock. It's one rock, but it's been broken. And I want you to get into the rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. This is what it's talking about. We don't just stand on the rock. We get into the rock. Oh, that, that might be a little bit scary. What if, what if there'd be an earthquake while I'm down there? and It comes back together and crushes me. I'm not so sure I want to do that. You know, walking by faith and putting your trust in Jesus Christ is just like getting in the cleft of the rock. That could kill you. But you're going to die anyway. <laughs> so why not trust in the Savior in the midst of your, your walk down here on this earth? Get into the rock. Many, many Christians have stood on the rock. They've made their declaration. But way too few Christians are willing to get into the rock. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, it says, So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Ever had a panic attack? I have. Scary thing. Maybe, maybe you, you said I was just so stressed out, I've, I freaked out. Well, that's the same thing for a panic attack. You just, anxiety overwhelms you and paralyzes you and you can't move on. You're stuck right there. Jesus Christ is a sure foundation. If he won't budge, you know you're safe not just standing on the rock. You're safe getting into the rock. Immerse yourself in the rock. Discover what moves Jesus Christ, the rock, and you found a great precious secret. Because you can pray and get your prayers answered every time once you discover what moves him. Then he says, when you're, once you get in the rock, I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. Do I have to preach that or you already got it? I will cover you with my hand. We need to be covered. 
But the place where he's going to lay his hand is in the cleft of the rock, and you've got to get into the rock, and then he can lay his hand on us. And as he passes by, we are covered. We are protected. His hand is upon us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Peter says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies and says, I tell you that you are Peter, which means stone, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, rock means rock, and Peter means stone. And so there's probably a play on words Jesus intended. But Jesus wasn't saying that upon you, Peter, I will build my church. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, upon this rock, upon the statement you just made, that I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he made that declaration, that was like a rock. Have you made that declaration yet in your life? That you believe Christ is the, that you believe Jesus is the, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one? The Son of of the living God? There's a whole lot of things that go with that. One of the things it doesn't include, I suppose, is our stubborn will. There's got to be a sacrifice of that. Amen. So God says, uh, get to this place near me. And then when you see the rock, get on the rock that's near me. And then when you discover the crack where the rock, Jesus, has been broken. Get in that. Because the crack, the fissure in the rock was when Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross and his body was broken and pierced for us. He paid the price for our salvation. For our salvation. Jesus was broken. When he... When he introduced the first communion to the disciples. He took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. The rock is broken. Get in it. And once you're in it, I'm going to spread out my hand. I'm going to cover you. And then the fifth thing you can see from the rock once I've passed by. So Moses did get to see a glimpse of God. But what he got to see was the results after God had passed by. I've learned in my life, only on a couple occasions had God given me a glimpse of where he wants me to go. But he always lets me see where he's been. He always allows me to see the results. He always allows me to see something good that's happened in other people's lives, in my life, and in the world around me. So the challenge for us, get in the rock. You can't do anything about covering yourself. And you can't see God unless he shows himself to you. But the one thing you can do, this is where our responsibility comes in. We got to get in the rock.
Pastor Adam's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a, in a chorus. Let's stand together. You got to get in the rock. And maybe there's some of us here today that you, you believe that, but you haven't, you haven't gotten in. You want to get in, but you know your life isn't any different than the neighbors across the street. And you want that power. You want that evidence. You want people around you to be able to see the glory of God because he's inherent within you. You got to get in the rock. light. 
and it's kind of working in somebody's life. And maybe it's all of us, maybe it's one or two of us, but I just kind of saw in my mind that dark shadow, that dark cloud that trying to settle into our lives. And God wants to lift that. He wants to break that. He wants to lift that. He wants the light to break through. He wants the light to shine in the dark place. Let's lift our hands to God. Let's just sing this again. of faith, and we're going to see God guide us. Amen? Amen. Go with God. He loves you more than you'll ever know.